You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Network. I have Evan Jones. He's the CEO of Opgen, a publicly traded company, Opgen Incorporated. And we're going to be talking about uh, their work. So, Evan, thanks for coming. Thank you. It's great to catch up this afternoon. Yeah, tell me, what, what's the premise of uh, Opgen itself? And then uh, we'll talk about some of the particular projects that are in play right now. Uh, sure. Well, Opgen's a genomics and informatics company that is focused on uh, improving the patient management of patients with acute infections, in particular, antimicrobial-resistant infections. Mm. Yeah, I know uh, that uh, a lot of uh, bacteria are developing antibiotic resistance. So, yeah, what's the premise on how you would uh, attack such a thing? Is it with a new drug, or is it uh, a new way to attack bacteria in general? I mean, what's the overall thought process there? Uh, so, the field has been you know, come a long way since antibiotics were discovered in the 19, you know, in World War II. And so over the last 60, 70 years, there've been diagnostics that have come to market to help improve patient management. But typically it's taking two to four days to get the right diagnostic information to make a precision medicine guided uh, clinical therapy decision, for instance, to get the patient on the right antibiotic. With the new genomic technologies that we have at our disposal, You can run a DNA test in just a couple of hours. If you have the informatics in place to interpret those results, within two to three hours, you could uh, give a critically ill patient diagnostic information that uh, previously could take two to three days. A lot of people don't have two to three days and, you know, they may die before that time or, you know, something else may go into a coma or who knows. So, yeah, that's great that it's gotten a lot faster. Are you you looking at the... um, they're the patient's DNA, or are you looking at, again, all the potential particular offending bacteria, if it is a bacteria or virus? Uh, so typically what we're doing in our lead product, for instance, is for urinary tract infections. And so you'll take a sample of urine and uh, test the bacteria that are present in that patient's urine to look for uh, what are the pathogens that are uh, present, what's their level, is it high enough to be uh, you know, clinically significant? And then to look for uh, antibiotic resistance genes. And if they are there, to be able to predict, well, okay, what's the right way to treat this patient? So is it more about identifying the particular pathogen or is it pathogen plus, uh, is it antibiotic resistant? You know, it's both really. I mean, particularly as an example in UTI, uh, they want to be sure that you actually have a urinary tract infection. And that's a big clinical issue that, uh, frankly, we've been focused on. Uh, if you look at that field, there are about 10 million urinary tract infections a year. 
about 8 million of them are in situations that aren't really complicated. They may get a antibiotic uh, prophylactically, or they'll run a test and wait a couple of days and get the results. If you are in an emergency room, you know, or a critically ill patient, and they think you have urosepsis, which can lead to uh, a broader sepsis for the patient, you don't have two or three days to wait. So what's happening today is oftentimes they'll make a judgment call. They'll say, hmm, you know, I think there's a pathogen there. Just in case, I'm going to give them an antibiotic. And that used to work. But with the rise of multidrug resistant infections, about 20 to 30% of the time, if you used the routine antibiotic, you would be under treating the patient. And by this, you know, the inverse of that, if you said, okay, I'm worried about the 20 to 30% of patients that are resistant, so I'll use the stronger antibiotic, yeah. then you would be over treating 70 to 80% of the patient. What about um, if you have uh, antibiotic resistant or multi, multi antibiotic resistant bacteria? And you're treated with a you know a standard or even a strong antibiotic. Does that further worsen your ability to fight that uh, that bug, or is there no harm in uh, you know in in under treating? Uh, well, the you know the over treatment and overuse of antibiotics has been really one of the driving factors behind the rise of antimicrobial resistant pathogens. It's very important to get the right drug to the right patient and the right information to the clinician. If they don't, you know, you can, uh, patients can worsen. I'm sure you or some of your loved ones know people that have been in the hospital with acute respiratory infections or some sepsis, and uh, they're waiting days for results. And of course, all the while, the patient's getting sicker. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, we did some research at uh, one of the prominent hospitals in Boston, and they said, you know, when when they're faced with one of those situations, they'll give the patient up to five different anti uh, anti infectives, which can include you know an antifungal, an antibiotic, maybe even some antivirals. Just literally nuking the patient, and it's very expensive. But all these drugs also have side effects, so it's not good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, I guess the worst case is uh, you do this testing, you find out quickly that you know there are no known antibiotics to treat the patient, but at least in many cases, you'll be able to treat to the appropriate level. Yeah. You know, you you hear a lot on the TV and in the media about superbugs and and they are really rising at an extraordinary rate, but most of those pathogens are treatable by some antibiotic. The trick is to figure out which one. And of course it doesn't do any good if the patient's already died or the infection has gotten to a point where it's hard to turn around. But with these rapid tests, I think you, you have a better shot at that. Um, our products are still going through the FDA, so I don't want to give you the sense that everything is um, you know, ready to go and on market. But our FDA clearance for our lead product, uh, we're working to get sometime in the first half of this year. We're just finishing uh, answering all of the questions from the FDA for our 510K submission. Uh, once this testing is in place and it's commonplace, a lot more data will be gathered, too a lot more clinical data on what's out there, you know, instead of just being able to say, oh, superbugs are on the rise. I guess, you know, if the, if the data was aggregated, we'd be able to say, oh, you know, MRSA, this particular strain is on the rise. And this one seems to be decrease, decreasing and this one, this and this and that. So I guess we'd be much better informed as to the real picture of what's happening. Yeah, we're involved in some of that work right now in real time with a uh, digital health initiative that is taking place in New York State. 
and there are three large health systems involved and um, they are using our technology to track in real time the pathogens that are either you know in patients that are in the hospital or patients being admitted and then the next phase of this project will be to use that information and try to improve patient outcomes by uh, trying to drive down the rates of some of those pathogens, get uh, faster treatment for patients, things like that. So we spoke about it um, before, but if, if you don't mind recapping, so what what is being tested now? It's, it's the, uh, is it the person's DNA plus bacterial and uh, bacterial DNA? Is it RNA? Is it proteins? I mean, what, what's being looked at? What can you say? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a technically uh, more sophisticated question than just, you know, on the surface, because if you take a sample from, you know, low respiratory for a patient or even their urine, there will be a mix of human DNA and uh, pathogen DNA. Our tests look at the uh, pathogen DNA. That's what we're focused on. Okay. And then in looking at the pathogen DNA, are you looking at the gene express, the particular genes that they express or the genes that they contain or metabolites they make or proteins they, they express? I mean, what are some of the specifics? Yeah. So uh, what, what we do, for instance, in our um, AMR gene panel for urinary tract infections, we have probes that are designed to specifically t- detect the pathogen. So they use a technology called polymerase chain reaction that amplifies the uh, the DNA of the micro, very specific regions that are specific to each pathogen. If they're there, then the bug amplifies and you can detect it using this, uh, what's called PCR technology. The uh, It's quite robust and proven and uh, very sensitive. You know, the, thre- the threshold that is um, indicative of clinical infection varies across patients, but it can be lo- as low as a thousand uh, bacteria. And generally, uh, our test is correlating with the number of uh, bacteria on a one-to-one basis so that we've picked DNAs that we believe if the DNA were to measure 100, that would mean there were 100 microbes there. And I guess what could be done now with the speed of this is that you could sample a patient, you know, now, and then you could sample them, you know, an hour later or six hours later, and you could see progression of certain bacteria if that's what was happening you can see things ramping up quickly and in a shorter time window. You can, but uh, you know, in practice, the healthcare system there's a lot of inertia there, and what's happening is that you know you have that patient. Let's just go through a um, a t- typical patient uh, management example of a acutely ill patient that's in an emergency room. If if they believe that they have a urinary tract infection, and there's it's a significant infection, you know, not just one of the 8 million a year that you could wait a couple of days. So in those acute cases, they may start an antibiotic as soon as they see them. And with our technology, they would run the test. They would get the answer back in two or three hours. So the patient could still be sitting in the ER. And that then on the next dose, they would uh, either move them over to an IV antibiotic. Uh, if it was you know a superbug and uh, multi-drug resistant pathogen, they would use a stronger antibiotic than normal. And then they would continue to monitor that patient over the next several days. And uh, the way clinicians are thinking about it currently is those confirmatory tests would come over the next uh, 48 hours. Right, it's going to act sooner than wait. Yeah. 
But hopefully if they've got them on the right drug, you know, by two days, they're starting to improve. Right. That's true. Is there any need to go faster? I mean, two to three hours is great. Is there any need to try to do it within minutes? Uh, well, it would be great if we could get this technology so that it works at, you know, at the bedside for uh, any number of cases. But I think we're a few years away from that. How much is this in use today? I mean, what's the rollout look like or are you not there yet? So in the case of the Opgen test, we've been in front of the FDA for the last 18 months. As I mentioned, we're just at the finish line. We've done some large clinical studies showing how the test works. Some of that was published last spring uh, at Geisinger Health and Intermountain Healthcare, two very large health systems, showing that with this technology, they could detect over 90% of the pathogens. And similarly, about 90% of the time, they got the antibiotic decision correct. So, you know, the path in the U.S. is that we've got to get through FDA before it can become widely adopted in the clinical environment. Well, what's the current uh, accuracy ratio for identifying the right pathogens? You said you can do up to 90%, but what's, what's it against the background of? Uh, well, it's always an interesting question in the, uh, in the diagnostic field because you have these reference methods. For instance, in, uh, in the case of microbes, you have uh, culture as the reference and you grow the bug in the presence of antibiotic. And in theory, that method is you know, 99%, 95% accurate. But that's not really the case in actual practice because you can have the bugs that don't grow. Uh, for instance, in the case of a respiratory infection, the guidelines indicate that up to 50% of uh, respiratory samples have unculturable pathogens. So, it, you know, it's always interesting to compare. And, and our test is going to give uh, different adjunctive information to be used in conjunction with existing methods. No, no, that's great. Um, is it, uh, you know, how long again before it's uh, available in many, many hospitals and in widespread use? Like what's the path? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it can take six months to a year after FDA clearance to get these technologies onboarded into hospitals. Uh, in, a, in the case of our AMR gene panel, if we receive clearance in, uh, you know, towards the back half of the first quarter, you could see the test being used uh, certainly in the second half of the year in uh, major health systems. As I mentioned, we're already being used in these uh, pilot cases. And uh, the UTI test, we are in clinical trials currently for our FDA registration. And the goal is to submit over the summer and you know, ideally going into this time next year, uh, or I should say it a different way, um, at the end of 2020, um, hopefully we'll be near getting that FDA clearance for our UTI test. And what other medical needs? I mean, so UTI seems to be very important. Any other medical needs you've identified that are first on your list to go after? So, the, you know, one of the really attractive areas is for lower respiratory infections, patients that have pneumonia and acute pneumonia. And uh, Opgen is just now in the throes of combining with a company called Curitis that today received, or it was announced today that, that they received on Friday, FDA clearance for a lower respiratory test uh, that in four and a half hours can help determine the pathogen and provide antibiotic resistance genes. So that's a real breakthrough and there's a lot of excitement about that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Other initiatives? I mean, this is probably funny enough, but uh, other initiatives that you're, you're working on? So, you know, the work in this field is arduous and expensive. So getting this, uh, what we call the AMR gene panel for 47 
uh, antibiotic resistance genes has been the primary focus of our team at the company. Uh, one of the exciting parts about that is using the data, meaning the data from the DNA test, to predict antibiotic resistance. And we have a technology platform that we call Lighthouse that takes the DNA tests and matches them against a database of uh, microbes where we've done the DNA testing and we know their antibiotic resistance data by classical methods. So that's what was used, for instance, in the UTI uh, studies. Uh, you take the DNA test, you interrogate this lighthouse knowledge base, and that can give you the uh, you know, information to help guide the patient management. And that same technology we're using in this uh, tracking of superbugs project, where we create a profile for the bug that you could think of it being like a zip code. And uh, it's been very encouraging in the early days of that project, the people that are running the tests and the laboratory folks, they check first thing in the morning to see if there are matches um, among the pathogens and then to try to track down and figure out uh, what does it mean? What's the new information? Well, very good. Um, so what's the best way for people to find out more and to keep tabs on your progress? Yeah, so, you know, like many companies, we have uh, opgen.com as our website. We also have a uh, active social media program where uh, we tweet, I believe it's under Opgen. Uh, we try to get a lot of news, both related to Opgen, but also related to the field in general. Uh, so those are two good ways. And then the last question, what, uh, I don't know if you can you know, quantify numbers, but what could be the impact of your work on, uh, on people's health in terms of you know, ballpark numbers? Well, I think it's going to be very uh, impactful. You know, one of the th reasons that I got into this field was seeing these data about the rise of superbug pathogens and the predictions that by 2050, more people will die from drug-resistant infections than cancer or some other large uh, diseases. And what's exciting about these products that we're working on is I think we can bend the curve here and improve patient outcomes and, and allow for significant uh, advances and improvement in treatment of patients with acute infections, just examples that I've given you today of urinary tract infections or the recently cleared curitis test for uh, lower respiratory tract infections. And uh, I'm also confident, even though it's been very difficult to uh, progress, I think this tracking of superbugs in the healthcare settings is going to create a mentality where we uh, you know, know what's going on and people are taking steps to try to drive down the rates. And um, you know, it could be that several years from now, people look at this and say, hey, we've made a big difference. The, the projections that said you know, you'd have those rates in 2050, that we beat it. You know, it was uh, the new technology made a difference. That's great. That's very good. Well, Evan, thank you for coming on. And I appreciate it. And uh, you're doing good work. It's going to really benefit a lot of people. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for getting the message out. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. 
you may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.